This is Norm Holy for WFHB, and today I'm interviewing Dave Shurokauer. He's at Denali, and he's going to talk about uh, the effects of climate change on the park. Uh, thanks, Dave, for running us the interview. Well, it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for engaging me on this important issue. And um, is Denali experiencing um, very much in the way of the effects of climate change? Denali is experiencing the effects of climate change. Um, as you may know, the further north you go, the magnitude of climate change is greater. And so we're, we are observing the effects of climate change here in the park. And um, what specifically, uh, for example, uh, what's happening to, to the tree line or the snowmelt line? Yeah, there are, there are several... Um, effects of climate change in the park that are quite obvious. Some are some effects are more subtle, and um, one of the interesting effects has to do with the change in permafrost dynamics. So Denali National Park is six million acres, and the northern two million acres of the park is underlain by virtually continuous permafrost. Permafrost is ground that remains below freezing for at least two years in a row. Um, to have continuous permafrost, it ha the ground ha is generally frozen for decades, centuries, even millennia. So in our northern two million acres, there's a lot of permafrost, and we've been studying the permafrost dynamics pretty closely in conjunction with our um, partners from the University of Arizona, there's actually a permafrost observatory right outside the park. And so we've been um, slowly watching the permafrost thaw. And, and what that means is that the permafrost is retreating deeper into the ground, and so the active layer of the soil or the portion of the soil profile that melts and freezes each year is getting deeper. And this causes a lot of interesting phenomena. Um, one phenomena is that in, the, in this part of the park, this third, we have a lot of wetlands. These are ponds and lakes, and many of them are controlled by permafrost. In other words, the frozen ground um, holds the water into these water bodies. And so when the permafrost thaws, at some point, those water bodies can drain. And if you fly over the northern part of the park, you'll see um, a lot of these wetlands. Some of them look like they have for many, many years, but many of them have shrunk or even completely drained, and you can actually see the outlines of these former water bodies. Uh, so corollary to that is we, we do get some new wetlands as permafrost thaws, and it creates these depressions known as thermocarsts. They can fill with water and and be ponds and um, also important habitat for waterfowl to breed. In particular, we have swans that use um, a fair amount of those wetlands for, the, for breeding purposes. Overall, we're looking at a, a loss of permafrost-controlled wetlands over that landscape. Now, how, how much would the land uh, sink? Uh, you know, is there a number that you can arrive at in terms of how much it would fall to allow the drainage out of these reservoirs? It can be pretty subtle. So just, um, 
even if just a small portion of the permafrost thaw just a little bit that is surrounding one of these lakes, it can cause it to drain. Um, so I don't have an exact number. Each situation is going to be a little bit different. But I can say that there is a particularly interesting feature in the park. It's a thermokarst where these ice wedges are decaying beneath the ground, and it's creating these fissures. And we, we see more and more of those, and we've been monitoring this particular thermokarst and this this network of fissures that's been forming as these permafrost ice wedges melt. And those um, fissures are now in, in some places 20 feet deep, whereas when we first started looking at this uh, in um, about 14 years ago, they were nowhere near that deep, and that network of fissures was nowhere near as extensive. So we're seeing these features uh, growing dramatically over time. One of the, the really most fascinating and interesting parts of the permafrost dynamics has to do with the carbon that's sequestered within permafrost. So we have a lot of plant production in the Arctic and subarctic during the summer. And when these plants senesce in the fall, they, uh, they freeze. And a lot of the carbon that is produced during the summer actually gets integrated into permafrost. I was out in the park a few years ago, and we were studying permafrost in this, in this northern section of the park, and we were taking cores of permafrost out of the ground with this drill-like tool. And you could actually see several feet down, maybe oh, like four or five feet, you could pull out these frozen soil cores and actually see plant material within them. And so that plant material had been frozen for for decades to hundreds of years. And the carbon within those plants was sequestered, frozen in the ground. And as the active layer increases with permafrost thaw, these formerly frozen plant material is now available for microbes to decay. And so the, the thaw is actually kind of a double whammy because it's thawing and it's allowing microbes to act on previously frozen organic material, and more carbon is being released because of that. It's called a positive feedback. Carbon that gets released is just carbon dioxide, and some of it is methane, and that just depends on whether the conditions are oxygen-rich or oxygen-poor, where those microbes are working. I'm just curious. Either way, both carbon dioxide and methane are important greenhouse gases that further exacerbate the atmospheric warming. Yes, indeed. So can you see, like, bubbles in, in lakes of methane coming up? Uh, yeah, so that is a phenomenon that we do see in Alaska. I personally have not seen that. Most of the, uh, most of the permafrost landscape in the north allows for aerobic action, so we don't get the methane as much as we do carbon dioxide coming off of the tundra. Other parts of the state, um, the methane-producing scenario is much more common.